Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. They're spending their time punching each other in the balls, literally, and shaving each other's heads. I mean, I felt like I was watching an episode of Salute Your Shorts, but the problem is that I'm a grown man. Salute Your Shorts was a great show. I loved it when I was like 11 years old, but I've kind of moved on from that kind of show. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. Hello once again, my dear friend, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. You've come here because you love TV, you love movies, you love music, but you just want to know what stuff streaming out there is worth a crap. What's worth two hours, or hell, five minutes of your valuable and precious time? That's what we do here on the Stream Police Podcast. We kind of cut through all the bull and sift through all the garbage in the media wasteland and get to the good stuff. Hi, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. A little bit later, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, and hearing what tunes he's got piping through the earbuds this time on the show. Thanks again for tuning in, and I urge you, as always, to go over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, a glowing five-star review. Please, it's how small, unfunded shows like ours grow and become ever more popular. And uh, I hope you'll actually mean the five-star review. I hope you love the show. If this is your first time listening, go back. All of our episodes, we pride on them being evergreen. We talk about stuff that's still, if it's not streaming still, you can still find it on DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, or still on TV. These are uh, these are not really like shows that you have to listen. If you miss it this week, then like, you can't ever listen to it because it's worthless, because it was so timely. That's not what this show is. I, I have reviewed a lot of TV shows and movies uh, from from many different eras on this show, and you'll find them in our past episodes. Speaking of our past episodes, can you believe it's been one year, friends, since the Stream Police podcast started up? April 20th, 420. I know when you think of 420, you're forever going to think only of the Stream Police podcast. You will not be thinking of illicit substances, or, well, I guess they're not so illicit anymore. You will not be thinking of pleasurable substances that may or may not be legal in your state, you will be thinking of the Stream Police podcast. Speaking of pleasurable substances, let me go ahead and light my stogie up here in my tiny closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. Breaking about 27 fire codes here, but I do it for the love of you. So yeah, our first episode aired uh, about a year ago. Is aired the right word? 
became available for download. I don't know what the right word is, whatever. The first episode was published just over a year ago as you're listening to this one. And I looked back at the first episode, and in case you never listened to it, I just thought, wanted to see like what I was talking about and what was big a year ago. And it's funny to think that this show existed before Caitlyn Jenner was a person that anyone in the general public knew about. The first topic in the first episode of the Stream Police podcast was Bruce Yes, that's right. Bruce Jenner's interview with Diane Sawyer on ABC. I didn't know who Caitlyn Jenner was. Nobody knew who Caitlyn Jenner was. We just knew we still were, were like in the last days of Bruce Jenner uh, when we did our first episode. You remember that long? It was like a, a two-hour interview special sit-down that uh, Diane Sawyer did on ABC with the then Bruce Jenner talking about like his transition into becoming a, a, a transgender individual and, and, and how that was going for him and how he, you know, came to this and, and how long this, you know, had been something that, you know, he had been thinking about. And, you know, it was, it was really, I praised that interview. I thought it was great television. I thought it was really eye opening. I thought it was going to be a watershed moment in uh, kind of like the transgender movement, which was just kind of starting to take off. And, you know, I'll stand by that a year later, but it's funny that this show did exist before Caitlyn Jenner even existed at least in the general public's mind. So that was like the first thing I ever talked about here on the Stream Police podcast. Crazy. And the show was way different then, too. Now our episodes are about an hour long every time. we got all kinds of great uh, you know, music playing in the show, our theme song. We use a lot of sound bites and stuff like that. Back on that first episode, really there was none of that. It was very, uh, it was very raw and plain. The episode was only 30 minutes long. It had no theme song. It had no bridge music. It was just some... You know, just a couple guys talking in their uh, respective tiny studios or closets. Kind of, I guess we've gone Hollywood in the last year and added some music and stuff like that uh, for for ease of listening. I like to say, but I'm really proud of uh, how this show has grown in the last year. And uh, it is interesting to look back also and know that the first of all the series I've talked about in this show, I've talked about a ton of series with you, my friend. The first series I ever talked about on this show and broke down and reviewed was FX's Justified, which is a show that I've realized over the last year that I miss dearly because that was the finale, the series finale had aired right before I did the first episode. And I talked about the finale and I talked about, you know, that season or that series, I should say, and what it meant to me. And Justified is one of those shows I just really miss because it was a fun, like season by season show. It had great characters. It had a a really fantastic lead character and, and, and top villain. And I just, I loved that show. It was really one of those that I think though, it took it being off the air for me to really Think about how much I, I truly did like that show, and I miss Justified a lot. If you've never given that one a shot, then uh, find it, stream it online. I'm not sure who's got it right now, but uh, check Justified out. It's just a really good all-purpose uh, TV show that doesn't require too deep a watch, but it's it's got some really good characters that change uh, over the years, some dynamic characters. Um, and, you know, I mean, I miss, like, Mad Men, and it, it went off the air a year ago, and I, I miss that show a lot. And there are plenty of shows that I miss that I've loved, but Justified is just one that I really miss sitting down with. And uh, another one that's kind of similar is Hannibal. And I talked about that show on this uh, early in this uh, early in the Stream Police series as well, because NBC canceled Hannibal, and I had like a funeral for the show, and I was I was very upset, nearly in tears, because I loved that show so dearly. So. One year of the Stream Police podcast. It's been a lot of fun, and I want to uh, thank Andy Sedlak, obviously, for, for doing 25 and now 26 episodes with me and, and you as well, my friend. And like I said, if you haven't heard all the episodes, or hell, even if you've heard them already, go back and, and find them. And maybe you've watched one of the shows I talked about and you want to hear my take on it. Uh, I try to do you know some, some lengthier reviews of the shows on uh, this program. 
Go back and find that show and the snippet of me talking about it, and I, I, I promise you will not be disappointed. At least I think you won't be. So here's to one year of the Stream Police podcast and one year more, my friend. Have you ever wondered why you're still watching certain shows that you watch week after week? Do you have any of those shows that you just sit and wonder, why am I still watching this? Do some shows just become habitual viewing for you, regardless of whether or not you still enjoy them? I think this is definitely the case. You know, we get into kind of a rut, um, just like show writers and show runners do. They get in ruts too, but we get in ruts of watching shows and not really questioning it anymore. I mean, it's it's kind of it's a big commitment to get into a television series and. Um, you know, even if it's a sitcom or whatever, it's it's still it's a commitment. And you, once you start, once you get about four seasons into a show, really, there's no quitting. I mean, you're not just going to give up on it unless it completely starts sucking. So, but it, do you ever sit around wondering why am I still watching this show? I don't really love it that much anymore. It's kind of lost its zing, I guess. The show that often makes me wonder about this and why I wanted to bring it up to you is ABC's Modern Family. I've been watching that show for years with my wife, and every week, honestly, for the last couple seasons, I've wondered why I'm still watching this show, because the jokes and the situations are pretty much the same every single week. And I can deal with jokes and situations being similar, but what really ticks me off about that show is that the characters don't seem to ever learn anything or change at all. It's like basically what happened to them the week before. It's like it never happened. These characters kind of have remained caricatures uh, throughout the series, which is a disappointment for me because of how many Emmys and, and Golden Globes and different awards that show has won, and, and really how great a show uh, it has been at times. And it is a really funny show. It's well acted. Those characters are really lovable, really likable. But um, I, I just I wish they would get, like learn a thing or two sometimes and, and stop making the same mistakes over and over again. It makes me question their intelligence. But Regardless, I keep watching every week. And why do I keep watching every week? Honestly, I'm going to blame my wife for that one because she's usually the one that goes, hey, we got to watch Modern Family this week. We haven't watched our episode yet. And I'm always kind of like, oh, seriously? I mean, I'm not like it's never one of the shows that I think about really watching. And I'm not saying I hate it. And I'm not saying it's a worse show on TV. But I think it's just gotten to a point where I'm going, why am I still watching this? The last episode, last week's episode, I will say was called Man Shouldn't Lie. And this that was the hardest I've laughed at an episode of Modern Family in a while. And it marked the first time in a long time that I wasn't able to guess the resolution of the episode, like in the first 10 minutes. Usually I can always guess what's going to happen because it's pretty predictable. They have fallen into a lot of patterns on that show, um, and, and the surprises have ceased to be surprising on that show. But last week's episode, like I said, it was called Man Shouldn't Lie. It was a funny episode. I laughed a lot, and I thought it was kind of dark and edgy and also uh, surprising to me where it went in the end of the episode. Now, I'm starting to feel kind of the same way, wondering why I'm watching it, with another show that I've enjoyed a lot. Fox is the Last Man on Earth. I raved about this show um, a, a lot of episodes ago here on The Stream Police after its first season ended. I said how funny this first season was. It was a show that I thought was really going to suck after I saw the promos for it. And I'm like, how can they make a series out of the world ending and there's one guy left? And, I mean, it was just there were so many great surprises. And it, the show's attitude just felt kind of fresh for me for network TV. Um, I thought Will Forte was very funny. But as I've watched it into the second season now, I just feel like it's the same kind of thing every week. And you talk about a group of characters who never changes, despite plenty of situations that should alter their habits. That's the problem with The Last Man on Earth. Once again, I'm starting to question the intelligence of every single one of these characters, especially the lead character, Phil. 
There have been a handful of memorable moments in the second season of this series, but it's feeling more and more like they've run out of ideas, I hate to say. They've spent more than half of the most recent episode focusing on a prank war between the main character Phil and his brother. I mean, let me set the context for you. This is a show where there are six people left on the entire Earth, as far as we know, and they've all pulled together in Malibu, California, and... Two of the six happened to be brothers. One brother came down from outer space. He was in space uh, on a, at, at the International Space Station. And when this virus took over Earth, he was up there doing his mission. And he was never getting calls back from Houston or anything. And he, he was checking out Earth with his telescope and not seeing any people in any square foot of the Earth. And so he just decided to go back down. And it turned out that his brother was actually one of the people alive. So we've got six people on Earth. Two of them happen to be related, and they're spending their time pranking each other back and forth when they first get together. I mean, seriously, that that's the context here. They're spending their time punching each other in the balls, literally, and shaving each other's heads. I mean, I felt like I was watching an episode of Salute Your Shorts, but the problem is that I'm a grown man. Salute Your Shorts was a great show. I loved it when I was, like, 11 years old, but I'm a grown man now. I've kind of, I've kind of moved on from that kind of show, so... I'm starting to feel like, why am I still watching The Last Man on Earth? I don't know. I'll keep watching it because I do like the premise, and I do believe in the people that are behind it. Um, and the characters have been funny enough, but, man, they're just really turning into caricatures and, and just people who are not growing and not they're not dynamic at all, and that really, really disappoints me. And I'm also going to keep watching that show because I think Carol is one of the funniest characters on TV. So uh, I'm sure if you watch that show, you're probably with me on that. But, yeah, Modern Family and Last Man on Earth, I don't know. Both thirty-minute comedies, uh, both sitcoms in, a, in in ways, but they're they're each kind of bring their own unique twist to that that genre. But I'm just wondering why I'm watching them. Do you have any shows like that? Do you keep watching a show every week, but kind of sit there and go, "Why am I still watching this show? I really just I, I don't enjoy it so much anymore. I just watch it because I've been watching it and because it's on my you know my watch queue." Do you have any shows like that? If you have any, send me an email: theclintdavis at gmail dot com. T H E Clint Davis at gmail.com. I would love to mention them on the next episode. The shows that you kind of scratch your head and go, why the hell am I still sitting here giving a half hour of my time every week to this show? Now, on the total opposite side of the spectrum, there are those shows that I cannot wait for a new episode every week. I mean, literally, it's a, a, a show just aired and I'm already, you know, I'm already salivating for the next uh, half hour, hour of TV that I'm going to get from this series. I want to talk about two of those real quick that wrapped their seasons in the last few weeks. Since we last spoke, AMC's Better Call Saul wrapped its second season up. And I've talked you know, at length about Better Call Saul before. You can check a previous episode of The Stream Police for my full review of the show. So I'm not going to go on and on about it here. I've already extolled on the virtues. But it wrapped its second season, and I cannot believe I have to wait another year for more episodes. This show is such a treat for people who like character development. I love that. Who People who like noir, who like visual storytelling. One of the things I love about Better Call Saul is that it keeps up in the lineage of The Sopranos. And what I mean by that is this is a show that uses the entire frame 
to tell its story. The, the artwork hanging on the walls, tiny visual metaphors that are fleeting but deepen the story greatly if you spot them, music playing in the background, all these things, references made by the characters, give you a, a view into their world. And that was something that The Sopranos really spearheaded and did so well. I mean, you could break down the artwork hanging in Dr. Melfi's office all day, the statues and what they mean, uh, the books that Tony happens to be reading or trying to read, and the ones on Carmela's shelf. And I mean, that the, these things really spelled out such a universe uh, and made the show so real. And that's one thing that is so great about Better Call Saul. And it is one of the most understated television shows that you'll ever see. For as overstated as Breaking Bad was sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, that show was about as over the top as it gets. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. That show wasn't high on the subtlety list, but Better Call Saul is such a subtle show and really such a, a, um, a stylistic departure, I feel like, from its the show that it's spun off from. But what I really want to say about Better Call Saul is that Ray Seahorn, the actress who plays Kim Wexler on the show, needs to win an Emmy for her performance this season. I hope to God she is at least nominated, and I hope she wins the Emmy for Best Actress in a Dramatic Series because she has earned it. Jimmy and Mike are great characters, still great characters, but I believe Kim has become the most interesting character on that show, mainly because her storyline is wide open. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen to this character. We know that Jamie becomes Saul Goodman. We know that Mike basically continues the um, kind of hard-ass line of work that he's getting into and becoming like a mercenary and a hitman, um, for better, for lack of a better term. But we don't know what's going to happen with Kim Wexler. And I think that makes her interesting. But also, Ray Seahorn's performance is so natural and believable that it makes watching the show so much fun. If Better Call Saul sticks to this level of quality that it's had through its first two seasons, I think this show is going to become known as the best spinoff show of all time. So that means watch out Frasier, watch out Jefferson's, and watch out Daria, all right? Because Better Call Saul is uh, lurking for your territory. But Ray Seahorn... I hope to God you win the Emmy this year. You accuse your brother of plotting against you. You come up with this elaborate scheme. He's capable of this. You know he is. I know he's not perfect. And I know he cuts corners. But you're the one who made him this way. He idolizes you. He accepts you. He takes care of you. And all he ever wanted was your love and support. But all you've ever done is judge him. You never believed in him. You never wanted him to succeed. And you know what? I feel sorry for him. And I feel sorry for you. So Better Call Saul wrapped its season uh, two not that long ago. Another show that wrapped its second season not too long ago that I dearly love, ABC's How to Get Away with Murder. If there's one show that I miss most when it ends each season... It's how to get away with murder, honestly. I mourned this show when it ended the first season, and I mourned it even more when it ended this second season. Shonda Rhimes, the uh, the great you know TV producer and showrunner who is behind, she didn't create How to Get Away with Murder, but she executive produces it, and it's had you know you can see her voice in the show a lot. Shonda Rhimes was great when she negotiated. The deal for How to Get Away with Murder with ABC, she negotiated short seasons into the show. She felt that this show would be better and in short seasons, not the typical 24 episodes, the, the big grind that network shows are usually held up to. She, she had so much power she could negotiate a short season run, and I think that helped also with 
having a, a, an A-list actress like Viola Davis starring in the show, you could get her in, uh, you know, for a shorter run than you, the, rather than trying to get her to go for a, a long, long run like most network shows are. So it's got a shorter run than other network dramas, and that's kind of a double-edged sword for viewers. It allows the show to pack a serious punch into every episode, which is one great thing about how to get away with murder. There really are no wasted episodes of that show. Like I've never, I don't remember ever watching one and going, "Wow, nothing happened that episode." There's always at least like one crazy ass moment or revelation, and the characters on that show. I'm telling you, the characters on that show are so deep and have been developed so well, and they're well-acted, and it's just, I, I love that show dearly. I love the ensemble. I like the, uh, I, I just, I love the craziness of it, the gasp-worthy moments, and, and the performance from Viola Davis is one of the best you're seeing on TV right now. So I, I'm... I'm deeply mourning the loss also of How to Get Away with Murder, but its season, its third season should be coming up uh, next year. It has been doing great ratings on ABC since it came out last year. Sam? Yeah? Why is your penis on a dead girl's phone? All right, I'm going to stretch my legs and smoke my stogie a little bit, toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. He'll take care of you for a few minutes, and then I'll be back after that. Thank you very much, Andy. Take it away. Well, I was going to take this week off. I was in Destin on vacation and uh, didn't get home until the last minute. So I had planned to just tell Clint, you know what, just go ahead and do the show uh, and I'll catch you on the next one. All of that, of course, before Prince died. That's audio from the last time Prince ever performed Purple Rain live. It was at the Fox Theater in Atlanta on April 14th. He died a week later. Sounded pretty good. Let's listen to a little more of it. do any more of this i'm i'm just going to go off script here but i cannot do another podcast commemorating a dead guy this has become the podcast of death clint doesn't have to deal with this actors aren't dropping like musicians merle haggard thunderclap newman fife dog george martin joey feek maurice white paul Cantor, glenn fry david bowie that's just 2016 big names there we're not talking about the backup bass player for chicago from 83 to 88 we're talking about george martin we're talking about fife dog and david bowie it's april we're not even halfway through the freaking year as clint mentioned we began this uh show in 2015 that year was equally as bad lemmy scott wyland alan toussaint Jeff Picaro, he was in Toto. Did a ton of session work, too. Probably played on some of your favorite recordings. B.B. King. 
Billy Joel Royal. Down in the boondocks. Ornette Coleman, Benny King. Jack Ely, he was in The Kingsman. Yeah, that's him there on the mic. Percy Sledge also died in 2015. You know, I think my new rule is that unless I personally shed a tear, I'm not going to talk about death on this show anymore. I can't. Otherwise, this will turn into the Stream Police podcast hosted by Clint, Andy, and the Grim Fucking Reaper. Excuse my French. The exact cause of uh, Prince's death has not yet been released. It'll shed some light to a degree, but color and context is just that. It's... Color and context. The bottom line remains the same. The bottom line is that he's gone. 57 years old, still touring, still releasing albums. My wife got uh, a record he did in uh, 2014. She bought it for me that year called Artificial Age. It's fun. It's a good listen. And as much as I didn't like to hear that Billy Joe Royal died, he hadn't been active in some time. Prince was touring. Merle Haggard was touring. Glenn Fry touring. Bowie just released a new album. We spend hours upon hours with these musicians. No, not directly. But their music, their heart, their soul, piping through the earbuds, as Clint would say. Of course, their deaths are taken personally. Their voices were there when we first got behind the wheel of a car, when we were dumped, when we were married, when we lost somebody close to us. Their words and their voices and their rhythms spell out a philosophy that oftentimes we found ourselves agreeing with and living by. Of course we take it personally. I thought Prince sounded funny the first time I heard him. I thought he sounded like a chick. I was a junior high. Over time, uh, my opinion changed. He had the attitude of the Rolling Stones, the funk of Sly Stone, the R&B of Babyface in the 90s, and the musicianship of uh, Stevie Wonder. He could shred like Hendrix. And nobody shredded like Hendrix but Hendrix. Except Prince. I gave Purple Rain a uh, real mediocre review on OverdueReview.com. Don't let that fool you. My favorite song is either uh, Wind Doves Cry or Raspberry Beret or Sign of the Times. My favorite record is, in fact, Sign of the Times. My favorite recent song was Breakdown. I love watching him live, though I never saw him live. I mentioned my wife. She is a big Prince fan. We nearly uh, went to a show a couple years ago. We didn't. Imagine how we kicked ourselves last week. You have heroes. I have heroes. Spoiler alert. They die. This is life, and that is how the story will end. But do yourself a favor. Stay off the internet when it happens. Spare yourselves of the, uh, the, the phony tributes from casual fans that just need something to post. If they loved him that much, they would have bought his most recent album, like you did. And keep the TV off. Nothing churns my stomach more than the thought of... Uh, 
uh, robotic wolf blitzer telling me why Springsteen or Billy Joel was important. Just crank the tunes. Take a minute. Think about the impact. And then crank the tunes. Give yourself a moment with the artist. You don't need anyone else. Do you know that Prince uh, wrote a song for Kenny Rogers? He did. He did. He did it in secret under the name Joey Coco. The song was called You're My Love. Rogers released it on his album. They don't make them like they used to. That was back in 2 years removed from Purple Rain and the year before Sign of the Times. I'll say this. America is a country that thrives on art. When we lose one of our artists, we treat it like a national tragedy. We mourn accordingly. Yes, it's a country that's also obsessed with celebrity, and it's also a country that's uh, obsessed with death. So when you marry the two, it seems natural. But I think this is more about the sudden shock and loss of a person who is responsible for so much great art. Shifting gears, as Clint mentioned, it's been one year since we started doing the Stream Police podcast. Here is a clip from my segment on the first episode. This podcast, it's kind of neat because we can just sort of spitball. You know, and you can't, you, there's not a lot of room to spitball necessarily in a long, uh, long form review. Uh, even though they're longer, you still have to sort of um, stay on topic a little bit. You got to keep it focused. But I mean, hell, here we can, you know, we can hell, talk about whatever the hell we want, right? And we certainly have. I will say things have changed from that first episode, that pilot, if you will. I am like, more organized now so much more organized i do have notes that i draw from i moved from that sort of like freestyle mindset to a holy shit i need to keep your attention mindset and i try to carve out a little arc uh within my segment that's not something i necessarily did uh those first few shows out of the gate truth be told i'm like so critical of my own stuff it's scathing like it bothers me um there are probably actually maybe only um, about half of the reviews on overduereview.com that I think I would actually claim 
and stand by at this point. It's not that I disagree with the overall thought of the review. Um, I would just have written things so much more differently in hindsight. I think everything after like that disturbed review of 10,000 Fists is pretty much okay by me. That was posted maybe a year ago, and that was probably uh, actually around the time that we started this podcast. But I digress. Thank you, friends, for supporting us. Thank you to ACAST for picking us up and promoting us. I can tell you that I'm proud of this. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that we can keep each other company. Okay, so what's out there now? A um, couple things I want to man- mention. Santana has released a new album. This is a lineup from like the late 60s, okay? And the album itself is called Santana 4. Come on over, life is fine. Run and hop till you can't get high. Make it strong, do it rough. I won't stop till you had enough. It's Santana in Woodstock mode. Not too many surprises. If that era of the band worked for you, then this is a welcome gift. If you feel like, on the other hand, that you've heard it all before, I would have to agree with you. You certainly have. That's Sturgill Simpson there. A new song from his new record called A Sailor's Guide to Earth. Lots of people waiting on this one. It's hard to believe that his breakthrough... Um, which was called uh, Metamodern, what was it? It was Metamodern Sounds and Country Music. Hard to believe it came out two years ago. Um, His sound has always mirrored Waylon Jennings, um, but at the same time doesn't really take you long to sort of move on from that first impression. It was certainly my first impression. Uh, he works with that kind of within that old school country outlaw shit kickers framework. Um, but he does take detours into blues. He does take detours into like sort of the spaced out sort of psychedelic boogie woogie sound. And uh, he's good when he ventures out into those waters. It's when I enjoy his stuff the most. Expect more of it up the road. Uh, until then, this record is totally satisfying. I recommend it. Again, call it A Sailor's Guide to Earth. She said if there's something I should know, tell me now. Before I go, give my heart away. So I can get on with my life. You can go on with your strife. Wish you'd speak words of life trying to say. Five more songs, friends, to add to our perfect playlist that we are building. Um, One of the things that I have noticed in all these Prince tributes is that they keep playing the same old songs. You hear Little Red Corvette. Of course, you hear Purple Rain. Uh, You hear When Doves Cry. Um, We're going to, I'm going to recommend five songs to get acquainted or reacquainted with. They're all by Prince, but they're all deep cuts, okay? First up is called The Beautiful Ones. This is from the Purple Rain soundtrack, released back in 84. 
Second, if you remember, Prince was responsible for the soundtrack for that first Batman movie. Not maybe not the first Batman movie, but the the Batman movie from '89 uh, that Tim Burton directed. Um, the soundtrack was all Prince. This is a song from that soundtrack called "Trust." All right, third, this is from uh, 2014's Artificial Age. I mentioned that record uh, a little earlier in the show. This is a song. It's God, it's tremendous. It's called Breakdown. Keep breaking me down, down, down. Keep breaking me down, down, down. All right, next, uh, this is from 1992. The record is called the Love Symbol Album. Uh, This was when he changed his name to that unpronounceable symbol. The song is called The Morning Papers. And finally, uh, this is a song from, again, my favorite record from Prince called Sign of the Times. The song is called Housequake. That's it, friends. Until next time, behave yourselves for a change. I'll see you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks a lot, Andy. And uh, do yourself a favor. Go ahead and put those five songs on your uh, iPod right now, or at least put them on your like favorites playlist on Spotify or add them to a, a running list and, and go ahead and, and scan through those because if my man Andy knows one thing, it's uh, where to get a good beer at Dayton, Ohio. But if he knows two things, it's uh, also music. So thanks again, my friend. And let's get back to TV now. Uh, on television, a show that really is is one of the most massive phenomenons in television, in recent television history at least, has just cranked up its sixth season uh, today, actually, when this episode uh, hit your iPod or wherever it is you're listening to it. I guess nobody listens to them on iPods anymore. It'd be your your iPhone probably. Uh, Game of Thrones on HBO, season six, starting now uh, on HBO, running now, I should say, on HBO and HBO Go and HBO Now. Now, as I break down Game of Thrones here, let me just first preface by saying that, believe me, nobody in the world, and I mean this, I I never tell you anything, my friend, on the stream police unless I believe it wholeheartedly. So let me tell you this, nobody in the world wanted to dislike Game of Thrones more than me. I had heard hype about this show for years. I'd overhear people at my previous job talking about their addiction to the show and how much they loved it. And to be honest, they weren't exactly people whose like opinions on uh, on television and on movies and stuff like that I had respected very much. So I was just I kind of rolled my eyes every time I overheard them talking about it. I saw a magazine ad promoting the show with the line from the L.A. Times declaring it quote the greatest TV show of all time. Believe me, my eyes rolled so hard they almost popped out of my head when I read that line. But the final straw, perhaps for me. In cementing my uh, preordained hatred of Game of Thrones was when it surpassed my beloved Sopranos as HBO's most popular show ever in terms of ratings. That really smacked in the final nail that I was going to hate this show. Your mother was a dumb whore with a fat ass. Did you know that? I was a Game of Thrones hater, pure and simple. But fast forward to this year. My wife started watching the show. She's like, you know what? I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. I don't care what you say. I know you you say you don't want to watch it, but I'm going to start watching it because I hear all these good things about it. And so she turned it on and started watching it. I would kind of half pay attention. And then I finally picked up the show with her about three or four episodes into the first season. And all my hatred started slowly but surely melting away. And by the time we'd finished the second season of the show, I had to come to grips with a startling fact, my friend, I was a Game of Thrones fan. Thank the gods for Bessie and her tits. I never thought it would happen. And believe me, your humble narrator, when I tell you that there's plenty to love about Game of Thrones, I'm going to assume that maybe you haven't watched this show. Its production values are virtually unmatched on TV today. The cost of this show is ridiculous. So if it didn't have the ratings it has, it would go the way of HBO's Rome or Deadwood and it would be canceled because it costs too much to make. It's loaded 
with unflinching violence and sex. Its storylines keep you hooked because early on, and I mean very early on, a tone is set on this show that proves virtually no character is safe from death. I don't truly think no character is safe from death. I think there are a few that would not be killed under any circumstances, except for maybe like in the last episode. But I think it's safe to say that almost no character is safe from death on this show, which is a rare thing indeed um, on any TV show, regardless of network. And the plots on Game of Thrones, the plot resolutions, I should say, almost never result in storytelling cliches. It's refreshing in all those ways, and this show keeps you on your toes every time you watch it. But the greatest strength for me of Game of Thrones and the thing that keeps me so engaged in this show and has risen it so high on my list is without question the massive depth of the world that it exists in. The show has more characters than just about any that I've ever seen on TV. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to exaggerate here. And when I say more characters, I'm not talking about guys who, like, you know their first name and they pop in for a scene and make a joke and then they're gone. You know, like the mailman comes to the door and, oh, he's always got a good one-liner and, oh, there's the mailman. He's there. And, and oh, and they go to the butcher. The butcher's funny, too. He's got a good one-liner also. And, oh, there's the pizza delivery guy. He's funny. I don't mean bullshit characters like that. I mean real characters. This show has more main characters than any TV show that I think I've ever seen. And the best part is that each of these characters have their own unique motivations and strong development. The acting is a thing of beauty on this show also, but the writers, I feel like, really deserve a lot of the credit because they're able to juggle about a dozen major storylines at once without confusing the audience or losing its interest. The thing that blows me away about Game of Thrones is the scope of this show. I mean, just like I said, the production values are amazing, but the size of the storylines and, uh, you know, I mean, just, just how long they'll take to resolve something is amazing. I haven't seen this kind of, like, slow, layered storytelling really since The Wire. That's the last show I can remember doing that kind of storytelling. And this show reminds me of that a lot because The Wire also did have a ton of characters who were really well-developed and you knew really well, and it was hard to keep track of some of their names. So I feel like this show has a, kind of a lot in common, and, and Oz is another one that had, all these are HBO shows, but Oz was another show that had a lot of characters, and you had to keep up with all of them, and they were all uniquely developed and, and really well-performed, and they all felt like real people. These are the, like the three shows I can think of that had the greatest breadth of characters lost as close as well, but um, I don't feel like all of them were created quite as equally as they are on these other shows that I've mentioned. Now, is Game of Thrones perfect? Because as we, we've heard people say, we've heard people say it's the best show ever, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's the greatest show on TV right now, but is it a perfect show? No, not at all. My biggest complaint about Game of Thrones is the show's gratuitous nudity, which at times legitimately resembles softcore porn more than weighty drama, and I feel like kind of undercuts the show a little bit and makes it, I don't know, it just, sometimes sometimes it makes me uncomfortable watching uh, because I just sometimes wonder why they needed to, to go to that length as far as, you know, sometimes it makes sense in the story. And sometimes it is used well, and it's empowering, or it's degrading, um, which is what a nude scene should do. It should, you know, kind of evoke one of those two um, emotional responses in the viewer and uh, thoughts about a character. But then sometimes it's just like, I mean, I think she probably could have been clothed for that scene, or could have been covered a little bit in bed. I don't know, but that, that's one of my biggest complaints about the show. Your king says he betrayed me for love. 
I say he betrayed me for firm tits and a tight fit. Also, my second biggest complaint about the show is that the ensemble is so well-developed and realistic that it makes the characters who are completely detestable or completely likable feel very flat. Anyone that's like... Anyone that's black or white on Game of Thrones is a good term for it. Anyone that's like, you you absolutely hate them or you absolutely love them, no question. There's never been a scene I didn't like that character. There's never been a scene where I didn't hate that character. They suck completely. They're a horrible person. I want them to die. Those characters are flat. They're like cardboard compared to the rest of the show. There are a few characters, it's not many, but there's a handful of characters on the show, <coughs> Cersei, who never have a moment of likability. Never. In the entire series. If you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep. Meanwhile, the rest of the cast exists in this gray area of like, dislike, based on their choices, and that is what is so great about Game of Thrones. There have been some characters that, I mean, you talk about, you wanted them to, you wanted their heads to end up on pikes. Uh, because of something they said, did. I mean, truly detestable things that we witnessed them do. But then give it about four seasons and that person might be your favorite character on the show. It's amazing. And they have pulled character turns like I have never seen a show do so smoothly um, on Game of Thrones. And that's, uh, once again, a credit to the writing. And the acting is fantastic, but it's a real credit to the writing behind this show. They are they are doing yeoman's work in that writing room. Now, will the show maintain its greatness? now that it has gone away in the sixth season from the books on which it was based. Because the books, the book storylines from George R.R. R. Martin, if you didn't know this, ran through season five of Game of Thrones. But he hasn't finished the book series yet. There's still a couple books left to go before he's done with that. So essentially now, and George R.R. R. Martin is, has written a handful of great episodes of this show, and he's, he's very active in the writer's room of this series. Um, but how are they going to continue the momentum and the great deep storytelling that was so much a part of his books, and they owed it so much to his books? They already had this fantastic foundation. Now the foundation's gone. It's up just to the writers of this TV show to keep this world as interesting and engaging as it's been. So do you think the greatness will be maintained once it's gone away from the books? I have to think that it probably won't. I, I think it's unfortunately inevitable that it will suffer a bit from having that that great foundation of the books pulled out from under it. But I don't think it's in any way going to crumble. Uh, these writers have proven to have a great deal of knowledge and understanding about these characters and care about these characters. And there are so many storylines to tie up that I feel like this is still going to be mandatory viewing for the remainder of the series run. And it's probably not going to be that long of a remainder of a series run. It sounds like HBO's already kind of said the days are numbered and the writers have said that as well. So I feel like Game of Thrones is going to remain mandatory viewing for the rest of its run, no matter how many great characters they murder along the way. If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. I wholeheartedly recommend Game of Thrones, though. If you like deep storytelling, if you can handle really graphic violence and graphic sex, give it a go on this show. It's got this huge ensemble of characters, and I tell you what, man. I mean, there are times that you just you can't even hardly watch the show because it's heartbreaking. I mean, I, there was one scene that legitimately like made me shake because... Um, it was so emotionally draining to watch. It was such a like a dirty trick pulled on you by the writers, but it was so well done um, and just so shocking. I, I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever seen anything so shocking on TV as uh, this one scene that I'm talking about that happens about midway through the series. And, I mean, it just pulled the rug out from under me and left me breathless and shaking. I can't even hardly think about that scene right now. And that's powerful television. So 
Totally recommend Game of Thrones. It's great HBO programming. It's great television programming, period. Um, not a perfect show, but uh, I will be interested to see where it's going to go now that they have the books pulled out from under them. It is airing right now in its sixth season on HBO. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. And I'm glad that it did last year finally win the Emmy for a Best Dramatic Series because that would be one of those shows that if it went through its like entire eight-season run or whatever and never won that Emmy, it would be the top of like every list ever of great shows that never won for Best Series. That would, it would just be ruthlessly made fun of um, by uh, you know the people who are making fun of the Emmys. Uh, the Wire can now remain that series that never won uh, any of the big Emmys. I don't think it ever won any Emmys, period. I can't remember, but never won any of the big Emmys, uh, despite being really one of the great shows in television history. And one more show I want to mention that is coming back for another season on premium cable television is Penny Dreadful. Its third season starts up on May 1st uh, on Showtime. I talked about this show early early, early in an episode of The Stream Police. And uh, I just want to recommend it one more time. If you've never watched Penny Dreadful, uh, this is my it's my favorite show that I've ever watched on Showtime. It's a fun show for anyone who likes adventure and something that's like a little dark, actually very dark, let me say. The look of the show is gothic, and it takes place in the nighttime world of monsters and myths in 19th century England. It's It's kind of close in some ways to the X-Files, but not really because the setting of it and the costumes are more like Downton Abbey. Um, and the performances are pretty melodramatic sometimes. But man, the art direction is fantastic. They're talking about, I mean, it's 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 filled with such a litany of great characters from, from the history of literature and especially from horror literature uh, that just make it really fun for anybody. If you love literature, I think you'll really dig Penny Dreadful a lot. The principal cast of the show, Eva Green, Timothy Dalton, and Josh Hartnett, are fantastic. But this show isn't really about the acting. It's more about the atmosphere and seeing three-dimensional versions of these classic tragic characters like Frankenstein's monster and Dr. Frankenstein himself and Dorian Gray is one of my favorite characters on the show. It's just really interesting to see these literary characters kind of come to life and to see these, like I said, these three-dimensional versions of them um, on this show, which, as I said, is uh, airing uh, right now on Showtime. Season 3 starts on May 1st. Definitely recommend Penny Dreadful. It's a quick watch through its first two seasons, and uh, I really enjoy this show. My wife and I love this one. Do you know how many men I've killed? In Africa, we walked in blood every step. There was a time I would gladly have killed you. There may come a time when I gladly shall. You think you've suffered? You think you know blood? You think you've walked on corpses? Spread them from here to the horizon, and I have walked further. You weak, foul, lustful, vainglorious man. How dare you presume to speak to me of death? Penny Dreadful is a show that I still feel like has really been slow to gain traction from critics and things, but... And I think it would clean house um, on Netflix, but for whatever reason, it hasn't showed up there yet. Um, but check it out on Showtime if you get a chance. Last thing I want to leave you with here on this edition of the Stream Police podcast, something in theaters that I urge you to go out and see right now. The Jungle Book, Disney's 2016 live-action reboot of The Jungle Book, directed by Jon Favreau, who did Iron Man 1 and 2, among other films. Um, th- this movie... 
I got to tell you, I love the Disney animated version, this 1960s version of The Jungle Book so dearly. When I was a kid, I think it legitimately was my favorite movie. I watched it all the time. So I went into this one with a lot of skepticism. I kind of went into it the same way I went into Game of Thrones. I was like, this is going to suck. I'm not going to like it. But, you know, being the unshakable critic that I am, I try to go into everything with an open mind. So I went into it thinking that I was going to think that it really sucked ass. But I loved every minute of the new Jungle Book. This is one of the best Disney movies I've seen in years. It's exciting, it's sweet, it's funny, and it is a visual marvel. I'm telling you, it's got some of the best special effects, visual effects, and CGI I have ever seen in a movie. See it in theaters if you can, and see it on an IMAX screen if you can. You will not regret spending like $12 or whatever to go see this. It is so worth it and just a blast to watch. If not, if you don't get to see it in theaters, Definitely check it out on Blu-ray later this year, but it will be in theaters for a while. It's already kicking ass at the box office, and I think it'll be sticking around for a while. I, this is—I feel like this is John Favreau's best film since Iron Man, um, and it might even be better than Iron Man. I'm telling you, I love Iron Man dearly, but this this movie was just—I feel like this is going to be his masterpiece. He did a great job. The, the characters are—the characters were already great. We already knew the characters were great, but he brought something new to it. And by making it live action, it doesn't look cheesy, even though you got this little kid who really is working his ass off, earning his paycheck in this movie. He's talking, though, to these you know CGI animals who are voiced by all these great actors. You'd think it'd be really cheesy, but it's not at all. And the movie just, God, it looks so good. And this is, this is really, I think, as good as you can get for a CGI-driven movie, a movie where like everything's done on green screen. I think this is one of those that'll be held up there kind of with like the Lord of the Rings movies as far as that kind of filmmaking goes. Big green screen, blue screen filmmaking. I think The Jungle Book has has raised the bar even higher than we've seen it for that kind of filmmaking. And plus, where else do you get to hear Bill Murray, Christopher Walken, and Ben Kingsley in a single scene? Have you lost your mind? You said you wouldn't get mad. Did you listen to anything Akira taught you? There's no place in the jungle for these tricks. You want to do this, you do this in the man village. But I'm helping Baloo get ready for hibernation. Bears don't hibernate in a jungle. What are you teaching him? Not full hibernation, but I nap a lot. The Jungle Book is in theaters now, and I give uh, Disney a ton of credit for going back and doing this one. This one actually gives me faith that they can do you know, Beauty and the Beast some justice when they bring it back live action. We'll see if that one's more Cinderella or if it's more Jungle Book. I hope it's more Jungle Book. All right, my good friend, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, checking out the show. I urge you to go back and listen through a year of great episodes that we've done for you here. I think they're great. I'm a little bit biased, but uh, whatever. Give us a five-star review on iTunes and, and tell your friends about the show. If they love TV, if they love movies, I think they'll dig the program. And, uh, and you can always email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com, and you can tweet at us at overdue underscore review. And you can follow us on Facebook as well, Overdue Review. And check us out online, OverdueReview.com. All right, uh, thanks to Andy Sedlak, our music editor, once again. Um, And I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. I'll catch you next time. Until then, stream on. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.